Welcome to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Studs Terkel. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me a chance to check in with my people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Thank you so much for tuning in. What do you say we play a little game? How's about you see how many people you could, in good conscience, of course, recommend studs to? Send them your favorite episode. Quiz them on it. Tell them to subscribe. It would mean a lot to me. And it's entirely possible that this might be your favorite episode, the one you want to share, because this episode of Studs features a conversation with none other than James Fotopoulos. For more than 30 years, Jimmy Photo has been the proud proprietor of Photo's Hot Dogs. Jimmy discusses how his upbringing in Chicagoland's Greek diner scene shaped his approach to work, and it made him a black belt in tomfoolery and shenanigans. He explains why, after devoting decades to burgers and dogs and fries, he's still excited to go to work, so much so that he sometimes loses sleep over it. Oh, and he tells the splendid story of his ten minutes of fame. That's a romp. Good times. And so concludes season two of Studs, a romp in and of itself. Season two began with my favorite teacher, now an attorney, the Goose, and it ends where my fascination with work began, at a Chicagoland hot dog stand. I hope you found meaning and solace in season two of Studs. I've relished the opportunity to connect to people in an age of social distance and anti-social media. I learned a ton, and I had a blast. And I hope you have a blast with the real sausage king of Chicago, Jimmy Photo. James Fotopoulos, welcome to Studs. I am so grateful that you're joining me here. Maybe we should kick it off this way. Take me on a ride way back to 1989. Fresh out of college, a 23-year-old Jimmy Fotopoulos opened up a humble hot dog shop in a strip mall. Can you tell me the story? of opening photos, hot dogs. Like, what was the dream? My first idea was to open a barbecue rib place, and I wanted to call the place Junkyard Dogs. Yeah. Junkyard. I still like the name. Yeah. The Junkyard theme would have been kind of like stuff all over the walls, all over the ceiling, like Sanford and Sun, stuff everywhere. And... uh a barbecue theme and yes. ribs and chicken and hot dogs. Then we realized there's this guy called Dickie Portillo's <laughs> Portillo's for, for those people that may not know is a Chicago local uh, restaurant chain that was insanely successful. He was already established probably about 20 years already by then with about 15 locations, maybe more. We all admired him. And an uncle of mine said, why don't you do a Portillo's type of operation? I'm like, okay, that's not a bad idea. So we went to check out this location that my good uncle Jim had found in Mount Prospect, the first photos location. And I said, what do you think? 
And I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, 22 years old. I'm excited. Uh, sure, it looks good, you know. <laughs> so so we signed a lease. And uh, the next day, I go to Portillo's to go work there for a couple of months to check out their operation and to, oh, you know, take a couple notes. Okay. And uh, work there for a couple months. I decided, yeah, this is what I want to do. What was it about the Portillo's operation that was so appealing? Obviously, they were making money hand over fist. People loved them. Was that what you admired, the fact that they were making bank? They, they were pioneers in service. This guy was faster than a McDonald's. Hmm. I mean, he, he, had, he had this incredible system of getting customers cranked out in, in just minutes. And he had a whole um, process, like a whole um, assembly line set up. He was blowing McDonald's away. So he would go, he would find locations next to a McDonald's and do better than they were doing. So that's really what made them famous. And we were all in awe of that. Now, when you say we, we all were in awe of him and you talk about your uncle Jim, did your family have roots in restauranteuring? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, all, all of uh, my, my father and all my uncles were partners for many years in the old Greek diners that originated on the East Coast. And out here in Chicago, the diners were a popular stay for lots of hungry, hungry hippos out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, now they're all gone because the competitions that's come, the, the chains are, you know, they never, they, the diners never really evolved as the world changed. And then the margins became thinner. Competitors with the, the chains were sexier and shinier. And the old diners were, <laughs> some of them were, you know, outdated by 20 years in decor. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, the, and, they, and they all, but yeah, my family was all, and I grew up, you know, from I think eight or nine years old. I used to go maybe twice a month, I would go with my dad to Libertyville, Illinois. They actually had not a diner, but like a kind of a steakhouse, actually. And I would go there. And I would uh, help anywhere where they needed, you know, peeling onions. And uh, my dad's buddies would come in on a Saturday night. They'd throw me like a $5 bill as a tip. And five bucks and 79, you know, you're like, whoa, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd fall asleep on the way home. It'd be like <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. And then that evolved from there, of course. And then I worked in all of the family restaurants growing up in, in middle school and high school. Then on summer vacations during college. And then uh, out of college, yeah, about a year out, signed the lease and then got, got to work on construction on the first photos, hot dogs. So before we get straight into photos, can I tell you that I have this, I'm going to say profound curiosity about the Greek-owned diners in the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, they weren't always kept up but they were totally charming. <laughs> you felt like family when you went to these places regularly. And yeah, the chains are kicking their butts. There's no family orientation. What was it like for you growing up in that environment, <laughs> surrounded by your Greek relatives? 
in that dining scene. Can you just tell me about it? Yeah, it was it was fun. It was terrorizing. Uh, there was a combination, you know, because you did have three uncles that were all on duty at the same time. So there was no safe place to go be be silly because these guys were on us. You know, they were uh, they were great great teachers, uh, strict teachers. And they uh, were very dedicated to their craft. And, of course, we were young. I mean, we were 12 years old, 13, 14, 15. And what do we, we just wanted to be silly and, and bother the waitresses and talk with the cooks and maybe look out to the diner to see if there's any pretty girls sitting around. We would always get into some trouble, you know, go back to your station. Or, or a classic would be when you, if we were working at the front desk, where you walked into the restaurant and heaven forbid you should have your back to the front door for some reason, you'd have to do an about face <laughs> and you get a speech. Never turn your back to the customer. You always have to face the customer. Uh, we got a lot of speeches, <laughs> a lot of tutoring, a lot of lessons. You know, I always had one uncle who was in particular uh, super, super anal. Everything was a mistake with this guy. And uh, then there was the good cop, the bad cop uncle. So my other cousins would work there too on Friday, Saturday night. And of course, we were always playing around. We had secret stashes and we would, oh, we would go across the street to the, the drugstore and buy candy. And then we would always try to maybe even buy some some magazines to read <laughs> at our leisure. Uh-huh. And we'd We'd stash the magazines up in the drop ceiling. We had some hiding places, some things that we tried to keep ourselves amused with while we had to work. For me, I didn't even realize that that kids my age were, it's like in high school, they were going to parties, going out with their friends. Every weekend we were working at the restaurants, you know, and, and we really didn't, we didn't know any better. I didn't, I didn't realize that things were happening theater and 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 music and and the arts and we never really did a lot of that we did a lot of uh, a lot of working on the weekends and the cousins were there and we made it fun i mean we we had a blast we had a lot of fun you know steal each other's foods and (laughs) when uh we'd be working the front desk (laughs) so we'd be talking to the customer and say hey hi how's everything you know and then have my my cousin pete who was a big big trickster you know he would take like a big pen or something and poke you in the butt a little bit while you're talking to the customer when you least <laughs> expected it, you know, and all of a sudden you'd have a little <laughs> you'd jerk up. And so, you know, we're, we're always goofing around and always getting in trouble. My grandfather even worked there. My, my old grandfather, we used to drive him back and forth and he would sing to us as we drove back and forth to work. He would sing old songs from, you know, his, his Greek heritage and he would sing his old songs and we'd all laugh and giggle. He hammed it up even more because he could see that he was getting a, a laugh out of us. It was good memories, a lot of a lot of fun times. Were your father and his two brothers were they first generation Americans? My father, actually, he went to Australia, Melbourne, Australia first. My dad's been working since he was probably seven or eight years old, and and to this day. So back in Australia, he was working for the bread company. Met my mother. Uh, had three kids, myself and two two sisters. And then in 1972, the other brothers convinced my mom 
to come to America. We're in the restaurant business. Let's join and become partners and, and grow together. 72, they came here and they became partners with my uncles. And that's how we all, they all ended up together. And they probably had about a 45-year partnership. Wow. And uh, it fizzled happily. No, no worries. Then my father was free of his partnership in 2004. And that's when I opened the second location of Photos Hot Dogs. And then I said, hey, Dad, why don't you come hang out with me? So we've been hanging out together since then. And that's a whole different story. Lots of fun there, too, I could tell you about. I can't wait to hear about it. So let's hop right to it. In 1989, you opened up this hot dog joint. And I don't know if you know this, my first job was at Uncle Freddy's Red Hots. And part of my motivation for starting this podcast is the the work ethic that I began to cultivate, moving my ass and uh, getting bossed around at Uncle Freddy's. Mm -hmm. One thing I know about your gig is that you got to work tirelessly day after day. What motivated you and what continues to motivate you to work hard day after day? You know, it's, it's sure what you're saying about Uncle Freddy's, it sure, sure builds character, doesn't it? It, it? You know, so many people can say, you know, my first job was in a, a fast food place or I worked in a restaurant and, and, and they still remember it, even in their like 30, 40, 50 years later. It, it's a fond memory for many people because, you know, you're working with, with the public and you're interacting with complete strangers and you really have to think, you know, and it really makes you be social, like real social, not this new social, yeah, not the internet social, like a true social. You know, in some way you were in the prime of your life. You're 23 years old. You got a lot of support from your family and there's a lot you could have done. You know, you, you know, Jimmy Fotopoulos is large. He contains multitudes. <laughs> but at 23 years old, you decide to hunker down and work tirelessly day after day to operate a, a dog shop. What's the motivation? Again, back from, from my dad and growing up in that environment, I just wanted, I just felt like I was supposed to kick it into gear. And, and now I'm, I'm a young adult and I'm supposed to get into the real world. It was a natural for me because it must have been from having the work ethic from growing up as a kid. And uh, it was just a no-brainer. And for me, it was a natural. And for what I was doing, marketing was a huge part of it. Coming up with promotions and uh, ways to get people into it is really what what I got excited about. I didn't really – the monies came naturally, but that wasn't really my motivation, right? I, I was more of a marketer, I would say. The restaurant was my platform to do that marketing. There was things, <laughs> there was things that uh, so in our first in our first property that our first location was a, a rental. It was a, a shopping center, so we didn't own the actual property. So we had to get permission to do certain things exteriorly outside. Uh, if you wanted tables or uh, hanging hanging signs. Each village, each township has regulations on signage. And of course, I broke all of those regulations <laughs> all the time. I've, I've gotten tickets and have had to go to court and get fined. I would put massive 
massive banners on the street corners promoting uh, whatever I wanted to promote at the time. One of the biggest times I got in trouble from the, from the landlord, the guy who owned the shopping center, I, I went up on the roof. Now, the roof of the building is a flat. It was a flat structure. And we were located about three or four kilometers from Pelwaukee Airport, which is a private little airport. So a lot of private jets. So all day long, jets were flying over us. And there was, it was hundreds of jets on a daily basis. There was a lot of traffic back then. <laughs> For some reason, I got the idea to have a painter go up on the roof and, and to paint the words, eat at photos in about 12-foot letters. <laughs> so he sprayed it on the flat roof. So as the jets were flying above, and they would see he did photos to, you know, to create curiosity. A lot of, my, a lot of the marketing we did was to create curiosity, to, to make you think about our store as you, if you drove by in your car and we had a sign out and you'd never been there, I wanted to get your attention. You're curious to see what Big Kahuna means, which is a gigantic hot dog. So you come to try it. And uh, after a year or so of having that, that sign up on the roof, the landlord, he, he came to scold me, but he couldn't help but smirk and laugh because at the same time, he, I think he thought it was hilarious, you know? Yeah. yeah. So he was, trying, he was trying to be serious, but he's like, you've got to cover that up. You didn't ask, you didn't ask for my permission and, and we can't have that. You, you, you've got to paint over it. So I think I did a half-heartedly job of painting over most of it where you could still kind of see it, you know? But uh, that, was, that was funny. Take me from the the rooftop of the shop to the inside. Tell me about how a day at Photos Red Hots starts. What time do you get in and what do you do when you show up? Well, in the beginning, I'd go early 9 a.m. And, and start prepping, chopping vegetables, toppings, getting the place ready to go. And then after we got a little bit established, I had uh, the staff come in early. Then I would roll in about 10.30 or 11 o'clock. We were open at 10.30. We wouldn't start to get busy until 11. Now, across the street from the restaurant, and the reason we really picked that location was this industrial park. Pretty good size one. Probably eight to 10,000 people were working across the street there. And during those times, everybody went out for lunch. Everybody went for at least an hour, at least an hour for lunch, if not an hour and a half. That's what really got us going at that location. My original location was the office center. So right away during the lunch shift, which was basically from 11 to 2, the main power period where you know most people would take lunch, we were busy from day one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was amazing. So that helped us in the first year and a half to get established because the dinner business, the local residential thing, didn't start kicking in until about a year and a half later. So if it wasn't for the lunch folks, we would have we had a harder time getting going. So it was important to get in there first thing in the morning and start prepping for a busy lunch. And we used to have, boy, I think about this and it's it's hard to believe it. I think we used to have about 14 persons working on the lunch shift, 14 people. To give you an idea, uh, right now, there's four of us that work the lunch shifts. Four. Oh. Yeah. We used to have 14 back then. So this is the early 90s. 
You've got an economy that's flourishing, very low unemployment. Personally, I would compare it to the to the roaring twenties of the United States, jamming and people were literally lighting cigars with hundred dollar bills, yeah. martinis, steaks, company outings. Say we'll say let's go fast forward to five years into our uh, operation. Say it's nineteen ninety four. 95, 96, right in there, we would, we would have three cash registers, three terminals, and three cashiers. And we would have three lines, about six to eight people deep. I mean, it was, it was, it was controlled chaos. Every year we'd get busier and our, our popularity grew. And uh, I remember telling my partner, my partner, Jim, I had a partner there. Uh, Jimmy, a good friend who used to work in one of my dad's restaurants as a bartender. My uncle thought that, hey, why don't you get this, take this guy as a partner? I would tell Jim, man, you know, we did a really good lunch this weekend, but you know, we could take it to like the next level. And Jim would always look at me like, what? Were you busier? I go, yeah, man. I think it was our third year that we were in business. I was thinking, what could we do for our anniversary? Some kind of special. So, for so I thought of, hey, why don't we do, why don't we do a three cent hot dog with a purchase of a, a fry and a drink? So if you bought a fry and a drink, you get a hot dog for three cents. And and I remember on the marketing, we put, um, you know, with the purchase of a fry and a drink, we're generous, not crazy. <laughs> so people got a kick out of that, you know. And, and it was hugely successful. And we took that up to, I want to say we took, I think I did that up to our 20th year, 25th year with the uh, quarter hot dog, 17 cents, 15 cents every year. Oh man, it was, it was nuts. And then our dinner became amazing. And we would do team, team parties for the kids sporting after their soccer or baseball season was over. They would bring the whole team to the restaurant reserve a section, have a party, give out their awards. The dads would drink beers and the moms would drink beers and the kids would play video games because we had a little, we had a little arcade with about five or seven uh, machines. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. It sounds like it also sounds like it was a real high. And I wonder how much you were motivated by the buzz, sure. the the thinly controlled chaos of the lunch rush. Were you smiling? Do you remember? Oh my god! I mean, it's work. It's work, but you were loving it, weren't you? Yeah, it, and like I said, it wasn't the money. You know, it was just it was the rush. You that you you nailed it, Dan. I mean, that's what it was. It was the it was the buzz. Your heart was pumping, and people flying in, and you're you're trying to beat the line and trying to keep up with with the uh, with the demand, and it was a challenge every day not to screw up the orders and get it done correctly. And at the same time, maybe smile. We would probably do three, 400 people at lunchtime alone every day. And to give an idea, we do maybe a hundred tickets all day now, hundred or 200 orders all day. We do like 200 orders all day today compared to about a thousand orders back then. Uh, It was just a different time. And, it was a beautiful time. And like I said, it was like the roaring 20s, that kind of energy, that kind of economy. 
Well, hey, man, here's to you and I living another 50 years and seeing another round of good times. I don't see why not. I am curious, though, to manage these lunch rushes of three, four hundred people on the Monday through Friday, you had to really create a team. You had to hire the right people and you had to keep them motivated and keep them around. How do you develop the right team and how do you keep people on your team? Well, you know, a lot of it is is luck. It's amazing how many incredibly talented people that have crossed our path. We've probably had three, four hundred employees over the years, maybe more. Beautiful people, and and you know, when I was a little bit younger then, and I was a little more full of well, I'm still full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, but I was I was a little excitable then, and luckily I had very cool people that would put up with me because I was kind of a tyrant and I wasn't the best. I wasn't the best motivator of people. I've gotten so much better at that now as I matured because I was young. I mean, I was in my early twenties. We grew up with dictatorship of these uncles. So that's what we thought. We thought we needed to do that as well. I, I would consider myself a very good motivator now, but back then I was just lucky to have all these great people. And also 30 years ago, people put up with a lot of crap. (laughs) You know, they put up with a little more crap than they do now. I had some cousins that would help me out. I had my aunts that would help me out. My sisters worked. I, I, at one point I had my dad, my mom, and my two sisters all working there (laughs) for about, for about a year. It was awesome. So my mom, you know, she'd show up so she had to start at 11 o'clock. Well, she'd show up anytime between like 11.15, 11.45, okay? Because she, <laughs> she'd always be running a little bit late. So she'd go out and talk to the customers, have some fun. Hey, how are you? I'm, I'm, and she gave herself the title, Mama Photos. Mama Photos. And she'd go out and talk to the folks. And we, we would be busy in the back trying to uh, take care of the customers. And eventually, I'd have to beg her, uh, Mom, can you, can you, you think you can come? help us out over here <laughs> and finally she'd come in so moms uncles cousins so uh, we got lucky with a lot of family members but like i said we had 14 people we were able to keep a lot of our staff for multiple years where many of the restaurants would lose people to turnover more regularly our people stayed with us because we paid them well oh they got to eat for free little perks like that and, you know, we weren't really a strict operation. You know, some of these places, if you're, if you're late five, 10 minutes, you, you'd have a write-up. We, we didn't even have a piece of paper. We didn't even have a computer, <laughs> let alone a write-up. Okay? So we're very relaxed. And I think people like that. And I think that motivated people, too, that we had a little relaxed uh, atmosphere, not as corporate. But, you know, you, you could eat for free. Some of these companies, even back then, were charging uh, half the price to have lunch. You'd have to pay for for your lunch, and and that's another way we motiv- motivate people with food and great pay. And it was, certainly wasn't my uh, my warmth back then. You know, I was trying, <laughs> I was trying, but yeah. uh, I was it was it was a lot of pressure. Let me tell you that ninety hour work weeks back then. Oy. Oh yeah, and. Uh, you know, after work, sitting there, 
and creating. I would uh, twist up some motivation yeah. and sit and sip a beer <laughs> and get creative. Yeah. You know, that was the, the fun for me was creating, creating new menu items, creating promotions. I wish I had a list of my own, all of the promos that we did over the years, the different kind of crazy specials. I mean, I could think a few, I mean, we, I remember we had a, on our five year anniversary, we had, we had a hand uh, with the fingers spread out and we traced that and put that on a t-shirt for our five year anniversary. Just like you did when you were a little kid and you traced your hand. Yeah. And that was a pretty cool t-shirt and we sold quite a bit of them. We sold the t-shirts, people wanted them. And it was all marketing for me. I love the marketing. Well, you are a creative guy, Jimmy. On a couple of occasions, you've gone back to this concept that I find really compelling. And it might take a bit of a windup, but I'm hoping you might be able to speak to it. You seem to be, not without reason, nostalgic for the 90s. But in the 90s, you opened a restaurant called Photos, which the listener doesn't know yet, but they know your last name is Photopolis, but they might not know that Photos Red Hots has photos all over the wall. And a lot of these photos are kind of like groovy, old time photos. And then you have this intergenerational business, the families working together, there's no computers. It's a hot dog place. And the hot dog holds a certain nostalgic place in American culture. And it seems like you're nostalgic for those times in a way, although you very much live in the present, of course. But how much of the photos concept, when you sit down to think about it, is sort of a nostalgic endeavor? Our, 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 our restaurant is almost like a museum. In fact, there's times where I thought about putting signage outside saying, you know, photos, museum, free admission. Yeah. We've got so much framed photographs. And we've got a couple hundred actual cameras that are on display, pieces as old as 90 years old cameras. And, and it's definitely a nostalgic place. And you know, I'm an old school guy. and uh, I was the last guy to get a cell phone out of all my friends. So nostalgia for sure. I mean, the walls are, are full of nostalgia. But it sounds like your heart is also full of nostalgia, that the hot dog enterprise and the type of community that you're trying to create. And tell me if you think I'm misguided on this. I love being wrong. <laughs> but it sounds like part of your project here is reaching back for different, perhaps more simple times. No question. I mean, I'm a, I'm a simple dude. And uh, when I look back on those, those 90s, it was a, a beautiful time. Back then, there were, Dan, there were 2,000 hot dog joints in the Chicago suburbs and the city of Chicago. 2,000 independently owned hot dog stands. We still call them hot dog joints, though, because that's how we talk in Chicago, Dan. You yeah. know that, right? I hear you. I hear hot you. dog joints. I you know hear what I'm you. Saying? I do. I that's do. right. <laughs> 2,000 independent shops. I don't know how many. I, I, it would be a wild guess, but I, I, I know it's not 2,000 anymore. Talk about nostalgia. I mean, it doesn't get any more nostalgic than that. It was, a, it was a wonderful time. Yeah. And it still is. It still is a wonderful time. You know, I, I, in my mind, I'm, I'm still having a blast. I still, I still get excited going to work. I mean, there's some times where I can't even sleep. I'm so excited to go to work. 
you know, I'll come up with a new idea or something. And I mean, I, some, sometimes I'll dream. I'll dream and think of something and I'll wake up and I'm like, oh man, yeah, that, that'd be a good idea. I'll, I'll use this container because it'll, it won't spill. It won't spill in the car when they take it home. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. And that'll be exciting so much where I, I can't sleep anymore. I'll have to get up and implement it. Huh? <laughs> Silly, right? No, it's inspiring. I really love that. That's still the case. 30 years on, you're still, still. giddy about it. Um, oh, now, yeah. I have had the pleasure of eating at photos and I know that every kitchen has its own feel and personality, but I got to say, when I show up there, you seem to have a lot of people who are really kind of committed to the team, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of friendly faces. Talk to me a bit about what the kitchen feels like at photos. Like what's the vibe and how do you create it? The vibe is a happy atmosphere. We've been doing it so long that we want to have fun. We want to be happy to be there. And right now, I have probably one of the best staffs that I've had in 31 years at the moment. And, and it's funny, even, even the young ones, you know, even the high school students, they still down deep inside have a good work ethic and are dedicated. And, you know, and some people might say, oh, these kids today, oh, and they've been saying that what for, for hundreds of years, right? Oh, the kids today. Yeah. I'm very proud of these high school kids that I have. I have another three or five adults. Are they family? No, no family at all right now. Good question. No, no, nobody, no family. So you're kind of you're you're the you're the last photo right. doing it at the shop, huh? Right. I've got uh, my my manager Maria, and now <laughs> it's kind of funny. Now her family works there, so her husband George just started working for us, and he's super talented guy. He works at a, a place called Bob Chin's, which is a seafood a famous seafood restaurant. And he's uh, been there twenty years. He's a manager there. And he wanted another part-time job. These guys are putting in about 70 hours a week between their two jobs. And, you know, George and Maria, for example, the husband and wife that are working there, the, the dedication, the energy, it, it motivates me to watch them. And that helps me stay motivated, too. They're, they're so positive and so in tune. And, boy, it is just amazing to see these guys. They've made my life so much easier. You know, I have two daughters and uh, they're very involved in sports. So I've had all this free time now to, to, to make sure I go to all those games and to, to, and to stay engaged with them. And it's because of these beautiful people. And they've made my life a lot easier. And the place is spotless, clean. She's a clean freak, <laughs> constantly clean. I mean, she's going to like wear down the stainless steel from scrubbing it all. <laughs> <laughs> the place is, and I, and I tell her, you know, I tell her, Maria, the place looks phenomenal. The place looks fantastic. Everything looks great. Thank you very much. And I try, you know, I thank my staff a lot more than I used to when I was younger. We do some bonuses during the holidays. We we have, I would dare say, the highest. I mean, I've got people making $20 an hour. That should be the wage. You take care of your people. Yeah. They, well, they, they take care of me, really. I am inspired by your optimism, by your positivity about your work. It sounds like you've really created a culture around photos, Red Hots. 
that people genuinely enjoy. But it can't be all sunshine and roses, Jimmy. Now, can it? It's a hot dog stand. It's hard work. Can you give me a little bit of the other side? Talk to me about the biggest grind of the gig and how you grapple with that grind. When you have a great staff like I do at the moment, and you get a lot of free time like I have recently, when it comes time to go to work, sometimes you're like, oh, man, I don't want to go anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and also, you know, I'm not getting any younger and my knees are a little sore. So it's hard for me to, to spend uh, five or eight or 10 hours on my feet like I used to back in the day. Mm. For example, this Sunday, my managing team, uh, Maria and her husband, are having a party. So they both need the day off. So I'm going to potentially work. 11 hours Sunday on my feet and I'm, I'm always, I'm kind of nervous. So that part's kind of a, a drag when that happens. So I, I really can't complain about that, but that's when it happens. You're like, Oh man, what a drag, you know, yeah, yeah. or please, you know, some of the equipment is, is starting to get older. Things are breaking down refrigeration, uh, doors, hinges, things that are being used uh, daily. It need to be replaced. And you're like, oh, God, I got to deal with this. You know, that's a drag, you know. But you wonder, how long can I sustain this? Can I survive another year? And we're doing, we're, we're still flourishing. But you always wonder, does it reach a point where you're paying people so much and, you know, is there enough profit left to keep going with these, you know, your, your expenses? And all that is a drag, you know, thinking about the future and, and if there's enough to keep, keep you going, but, you know, we keep rolling. You know, I've got, I've got three children. One's a freshman in, at university, the oldest oh my gosh. and uh, two daughters. And, you know, I, I don't know if they want to get into the family business. They've all worked over the years, not as much as we worked when we were kids, because they they've had so many other clubs that they've been involved with they they literally don't even have time to work you know with the way these kids are today their their schedules are are busier than my schedule yeah you know so they've all worked in the business and they've all they're all very talented it's it's funny it's it's crazy it's almost like a dna yeah these kids would come work when they're younger and and once in a while now and it's like a natural instinct it's strange like i didn't train them. I didn't teach them to do certain things. And yet they're just doing it naturally. I wonder, is that like a DNA thing? You know, it's pretty crazy. And uh, so I don't know, I don't know if they want to take over the business. I, I don't expect them to take over the business. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I want them to, I don't know if they want to put in those hours, but then again, heck, maybe they do even a better job than what we're doing. Maybe they'd have new ideas and, and new concepts. Who knows? Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a drag thinking sometimes, well, you know, do I, what's, what's the future? You know, do I keep it for them or less drag stuff now, Dan, you would think after all these years, there'd be more of a drag thing, but really I think more happiness. Oh, I'm happy to hear it. Even, even in this crazy time. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It sounds to me that like what whatever anxieties you have right no no you used to have a lot of anxieties right you're a matured seasoned veteran of this game you've been slinging dogs for 3 decades plus you mm. grew up in and around restaurants 
you're trying to enjoy it while it's good. Yeah. 100%. You don't need the stress. I mean, if you can control your stress, it's easier said than done with a lot of people, but the stress is the thing that is really a killer. So Try not to stress so much. I will take that advice. And that comes with experience. Yeah. Mm. I have to bring up one Jeffrey Patrick Guzak, who (laughs) has been on the Studs podcast, and he recommended that I reach out to you. And I asked him. Why why would you allow such a human on your podcast? (laughs) I like to have degenerates just to balance out the more pure people like yourself. I fit right in there. I fit right in. (laughs) Um, So I asked him if there was anything I should posed to you. Oh. Yeah. No. He sent me Uh-oh. the Daily Herald neighbor section from I can't tell you when, but there's a, a photo of a young Jimmy photo. The uh, headline reads fastest dog in the burbs. This is the headline of the neighbor section. <laughs> and there's a photo of you dressed up in a hot dog suit. <laughs> what is this story? What is this, Jimmy? So 2006, I'm approached by one of the managers at Vienna Beef. Vienna is a brand of hot dogs that we've used for many, many years because he knew I loved marketing. He knew I loved promoting and and we would always share ideas. He goes, hey, we're going to do this hot dog making contest downtown Chicago at the Daily Plaza outdoors. And it was a marketing campaign for them uh, to promote their their brand. And so what they did is they got a, a lot of their favorite independent operators. Uh, maybe I think there was maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 of us. And we had hot dog making contests for speed. Of course, you know, I'm a marketing guy, so I can't just show up. I mean, I have to show up in a hot dog suit, of course, dressed as a hot dog. I mean, come on. Yeah, right? how could you not? It would be criminal to, uh, to show up dressed like an ordinary human. You got to slip on a bun. I'm not, I'm not a savage, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we win the whole contest. And uh, the next day we get called to go on a, a radio show in Chicago called Jonathan Brandmeier, who's a, uh, I, I don't know if he's still around. He was, a, he was pretty famous at one time. Johnny B. Johnny B. Moo Moo. I love you. I know you're a cow, but anything will do. This is the song where he uh, sings about <laughs> making love to bovine. I know Johnny B. Wasn't he like, I think the number one DJ back in the day. Oh yeah. And so Jonathan Brammer calls and said, Hey, we want you on the show. And we went, we went to the studio and we had, you know, like 10 minutes of fame over there. And, and, uh, Oh, you know what? I forgot. So we also, after that, (laughs) after that, uh, we were, we were called the Fox and friends in New York, like a week later. So my wife and I were flown out to New York, uh, and then we had this thing on Fox and Friends at 7 o'clock in the morning, which was a national televised thing. And on that one, we have a clip somewhere uh, on a VHS cassette. You know? And I made, I made some, some really dumb comment about a hot dog, uh, a sexual comment about a hot dog. Oh, Jimmy. And at, at 7.30 in the morning, <laughs> they thought it was hilarious because – these guys are these news people. They're crazy, man. They're they're wild. They're partiers. Okay. And uh, it was fun. I mean, it was fun, man. It sounds it fun. Now, just for the record, you did keep your hot dog in your pants throughout the the newscast, <laughs> right? Please say yes. Uh, let's see. I was I, I was a little younger then, so it was hard. 
I don't know what's appropriate here. <laughs> it's a podcast. They got we got no lines. I never knew this story. Goose sent me the newspaper, and I love stories. You're fun. a great storyteller. Can you tell me the story of one professional triumph and one professional failure? Maybe start with the failure so that we could end on a note of triumph. Failure. Let's see here. Oh. I decided to open a coffee shop next to my hot dog stand one year. <laughs> I remember my sister, my older sister telling me, um, this is like, this is in 1989. Telling me, man, there's this place called Starbucks and they're selling coffee, hot boiled water for $3. And back then, you know, coffee at Dunkin' Donuts was a dollar. And, and here comes Starbucks selling this stuff for three bucks. Fast forward nine years a shop next to us opens up a, a space next to us, directly next to us, about another thousand square feet. So we decided to take it and say, you know what? I'll, I'll put a little coffee shop in the front and then we'll use the rest of it as more expanded seating for the restaurant. And then in the back, a little more storage space. Cause you know, we were jamming and we needed the space. The coffee shop, I think lasted a year and a half only. It was it was it was bad. Are you charging three bucks? Oh yeah, yeah. We did the whole three bucks. We did the whole three dollars scones. It was it was ridiculous. And you know, getting getting up at six o'clock in the morning, I really didn't put a lot of thought into that one. <laughs> so the coffee shop, yeah, it was it was it was a mini disaster, you know. And so I finally pulled the plug on it. It was called it was called Cosmos Coffee, by the way, K O. Maybe if I would have spelled it with a C. <laughs> now, have you had some like Mick failures? Have you rolled out like, you know, like McDonald's sort of infamously has like the Mick crab and the Mick spaghetti. They made Mick pizza, the Hulu burger, all of these recipe flops. Have you had any of those? I'm very reluctant to, to add anything to the menu. You know, some of my food purveyors that we work with, they're like, oh, we've got this new uh, corned beef egg roll <laughs> that you can deep fry. I'm like, man, I don't want no corned beef egg roll. <laughs> Nor does anybody else. Nobody wants it. So if Cosmos was the experiment gone awry, uh -huh. walking up to the point of failure, but we won't call it that. Oh, we, we can call it that. <laughs> okay, we'll call it that. Can you tell me the story of a smashing photo success? Not to brag, but there's a lot of them. We've just had marketing success. I mean, I mean that, that three cent hot dog thing, I rode that thing for like 20 years, maybe more. <laughs> you know, we used to have this big kahuna, which is a half pound hot dog. It's a huge piece of meat, Ooh, yeah. massive. People loved it and, and uh, they, they bought it. Even it was like, I don't know, $6 back then. Success with the schools. The, uh, the local churches, the community, you know, we donate to all of those people. Any, anybody that comes in and asks for a donation is going to walk out with 10 times what they thought they might. Uh, here's 100 hot dog cards, for, one for everybody. Or here's 10 $20 gift cards for your raffle, for your fundraiser. You know, I mean, success in, in marketing has is, is been my, my biggest joy. You know, some of my peers are... You know, some people I would tell myself, man, why do you, you, why do you give away so much stuff? You know, because I, and it's real simple. I mean, it's like you give away all this stuff, but it, it just comes back to you. 
I love it. I love it. Jimmy, this has been a, a real romp. I've enjoyed Thanks, me too. I hearing it. about all of these successes, but I can't let you leave without asking you to recommend a guest I should pursue. You know, you know who I've got a, a friend of mine, Steve. Steve owns a hot dog stand. His, his dad and his family owned this place called Mustard's. Mustard's Last Stand nice. in Evanston, Illinois, right next to uh, the football stadium at Northwestern University. And they just celebrated their 50th year. I think you would like talking to Steve. Steve Starkman. Steve Starkman from Mustard's Last Stand is on the docket. I will reach out to Steve. Photo, it has been a bona fide pleasure learning about your work and just getting to hear your voice. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing stories. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's quite an honor. Thank you. All right, Jimmy. Until next time. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. And there you have it, friends and loved ones. The real sausage king of Chicago, Jimmy Photo. Ain't you the best? So subscribe. It helps me if you subscribe to the show. Leave a comment. Leave a review. And pretty please, with sugar on top, share studs with your people. And thus concludes season two of studs. I'm already geeked out about season three. Got a splendid docket of guests lined up. I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope you are too. Mm-hmm.